0: Welcome to Life Happens, where Texans come to protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, attorney Kim Hegwood, with Hegwood Law Group and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens.
1: Now, here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Good morning, and welcome to Life Happens. Uh, Today, I have a very special guest, Lisa Milliken. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Lisa, can you give a little background and tell our listeners a little bit about you? Sure.
0: I always say the older I get, the more complicated that background thing gets. But <laughs> by license, I'm a speech pathologist. But for the last 30 years, I've mostly worked with corporations as a corporate trainer um, or in operations in business management, you know, all of that employee management stuff. Currently, because of all the changes with COVID and lots of corporate mergers and all of that, I um, left the corporate world and I'm now an independent contractor. So part of that means I teach a lot of conferences, which the last few months has just been mostly webinars. And I'll also see clients in three different settings, a clinic, a skilled nursing setting, and home health, and that ranges from uh, those who are on the spectrum, adults usually with uh, autism or Asperger's on the spectrum, teaching them communication and vocational skills, a little bit of that, and a lot of seeing people who have had a stroke or dementia and working with those family members. And then I also do a lot of volunteer work to support caregivers around Houston Um, doing some training, education, and support systems there. So kind of a little bit of everything.
1: So, you know, so today we're going to kind of start off um, and and talk about some of the the triggers that have occurred during the pandemic. Um, Because, you know, we talked a little bit earlier, right before the show started, the the number of suicides and, and depression has increased exponentially during this time. Um, And so what kind of things should people be looking for in the sense of to try to help their mental health?
0: Yes, the statistics are very high, and it starts with anxiety and depression. Those rates have gone way up. The numbers of medications that people are taking for those are very high, um, have dramatically increased. Um, Some statistics say up to 30 or 40 percent. And then many people choose not to go to a physician and don't admit, I've got issues, I've got needs, I've got a disorder, which uh, they are afraid to talk about their disorder of anxiety and depression. They try to treat it themselves. And usually they go with, I mean, just by nature, you tend to go with routes that are not as healthy, unfortunately. Sometimes that's um, alcohol, eating the wrong things, uh, substance abuse, Maybe taking a prescription and abusing it, taking too much of it, then that escalates to suicide rates and to extreme situations, to um, you know, family issues, to domestic violence, to all sorts of things. So one of the greatest things that people need to be concerned about before they reach that is isolation and depression. So those are very real they're of major concern. They will talk a little bit later about probably who's more at risk than others um, just by their demographics. But um, isolation and loneliness is huge and can lead to those other things. So those are triggers. So think about, you know, if you're in that situation or you have a family member or a friend who is in that isolation and and, um, loneliness situation to help them realize that and to sort of break that chain. Some of the other triggers, though, is honestly fear the unknown. So I used to do a test analysis. I used to work um, with churches and nonprofit organizations to do something called the disk analysis.
1: And it's usually
0: it's mostly one of those, um, you know, job entry assessments. It's not a test. There's no bad answer. Uh, And we would categorize, you know, what are your main traits out of four? Are you more the um, detail oriented or you more of a highly social person or you more, you know, different things? Well, from that, without going into all that, about 60% of the population does not do well with change on their job, at home. They don't like to move. They don't like to transfer, get a new position. And they just need everything to stay status quo and they're at their best. And so we haven't had a lot of that you know, during the pandemic, there's lots of changes. They happen every day. So one of the triggers becomes fear of the unknown. What if I don't get to stay where I am? What if I have to try new things? What if I, um, you know, job issues is another thing, but uh, just within change, what if tomorrow is going to look different from today? You know, so that is, that's a big stress factor on people. So then moving into job issues, there's kind of three categories I think of. And I've probably been through all of these myself. Um, But fortunately for me, I kind of like change. I I love it. Uh, We've lived in the same house for 11 years and I'm desperate to move because (laughs) I love moving. I love new things. I love new opportunities. Um, But from a job standpoint, there's kind of three stages. One, people are afraid to lose their job. I have a job today. But, oh, no, what if it's gone tomorrow? What if next month I get laid off? And they literally can become hypertensive about that. And they can trigger stress that leads to chronic disease because of fear of what might happen. Then the second stage of job problems is I've just lost my job. And that goes into a panic. What am I going to do? How am I going to take care of my family? And then the third stage is, okay, I lost my job a few months ago. I'm still very uncertain of what, you know, should I go to a new industry? Should I try, you know, interviewing and submitting resumes to a new place? Can I do it? And will I ever get a job again? So those are big issues related to job that can, again, lead to anxiety, depression, um, and and long-term illness, even, you know, and then there's the whole political climate, And I definitely will not get into that because I don't even like to talk about that. But I'm looking at the stress factors. So no matter what you think or, you know, what side you're on or what your opinions are, it can affect your mental health. And if you think back to 9-11, because we've got that behind us and we know how we dealt with it. We realized after a point and we were told by those in the mental health industry. And we were first told just about our children and we were concerned about them turn off the TV, do not watch a replay of it 24 hours a day, because it's available for you to see 24 hours a day. And we have to take that in little, um, yes, I'm concerned, but you've got to compartmentalize that and not let it take over your life. Um, I have a friend, I did a lot of research with a critical care cardiac nurse He was a specialist in critical care cardiac issues. He saw himself getting too involved in what was going on politically. And, you know, and then I had friends even in my family who I saw getting way too involved in it. And he told me, he said, you've got to tell them that news channel or that whatever you're listening to, radio, talk show, whatever, will make you hypertensive. It changes your heart condition. It can lead to long term heart conditions. So you've got to think about that. You know, got to turn it off sometimes because. If I can't go fix it myself, then will my worry and panic change the situation? So that is huge. That is leading to even further anxiety, um, depression. Oh, no, what are we going to do? Fear of the unknown. And so you've got to just
1: compartmentalize that. Um, I I found that the best thing that I did was to stop watching the news yes i quit watching the news completely about um probably about april of of last year i don't watch that change how you uh, thought it uh it makes a huge impact uh i'm not as stressed i'm not nothing seems to like i'm a lot happier because i don't watch all the the stuff that's you know and for the most part the news is all fear-based You know, they're trying to get you riled up. They're trying to get you scared. They're trying
0: to do certain things. I tell my husband that. And so so, they make you panic, you will keep watching their show because they're going to, you can't live without them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So for me, it was just like, wow, this is great. I feel better. You know, my mental health, I know is so much better, you know, by not doing it. And I encourage everybody to think about, maybe not, you know, I get my news, you know, I may not get it immediately, but I get it within the day, you know, so I, I get my weather through a very good, you know, company, you know, so I know what the weather's, you know, going to be and things like that. Right. I don't need to watch the news, you know. There's nothing there that, that I, you know, that I need because most Absolutely. of it's so oh, you know, depressing. And and everything
0: for those people who think, no, I have to know what's on, what's going on in the world. They, they're, they can't be like you where they completely stop it all, except for that, you know, update at the at the end of the day or whatever. Those people, it, it's so helpful to say, I will listen to one 15 minute segment or one 30 minute segment, and that's it.
1: I'm not going to listen to it the rest of the day. Well, I had been uh, on calls most of the day when uh, the stuff happened at the Capitol. And right. I was on my last phone call when the client asked me, Hey, did you see it? And I said, No, I have not. You know, so I got on, I just pulled up Facebook, and all it just, Tons of stuff, you know, right. so you look at it briefly and then I shut it off. Yes. Like, yep, now I'm you're okay. in the know. I, I know. And I'm done, you know, so you don't need
0: to dwell on it. Yes. Nope. There's nothing. So that's huge. Do, so, it you know. adds to everything. I was, um huge difference. I, I took a week uh or like four or five days to go see my sister in Louisiana. And um they really don't watch TV a lot. You know, they've got it, they've got it available, but they just like, I don't know, watch a game show or something here there and she lives in the most peaceful setting. And I, it, it was such a joy. I grew up there. So I saw some friends or whatever. I came home, I drove home and my husband said, Oh my God, did you hear what's happening? That's when the riots and the wildfires and all, I thought, Oh, I want to go back. I want to go back to her house <laughs> where they're not watching TV and yes, they're focusing yes. what's good. You know, they have a good uh, mental health. They focus on what's good. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty huge. There's so many uh, symptoms about depressive disorders. Um, I've got a lot of rates on people who have sleeping disorders because of uh, the pandemic and the news and everything that's going on and their fears. And then there's uh, increases in alcohol consumption. There's increases in substance abuse. There's increases in depression. So it's all very, very real. Um, and so that leads into fear of our own health problems. What if I get COVID? And then, you know, I, I heard a um, a minister say, we understand why some people don't want to come to church in person and they're watching it online because if they get sick, they will have no income. And I thought, well, that's pretty much everybody. <laughs> Almost everybody I know is in a situation where they will not get paid. You know, there's a few people who, I don't know, they can't work from home. They've run out of sick days. So, you know, that's an issue for everybody. So, there's a big fear of what if I get sick? So, not only where will my income and resources come from, but who will take care of my family? Because I do a lot. I take care of parents, I take care of children, I take care of, I'm a caregiver, you know, of a loved one who can't take care of themselves. So, they're afraid of their own health, even as an unknown. They're afraid for their children's health. They're afraid for their parents' health. Then there's the group of people who have loved ones in a hospital or in a skilled nursing home or assisted living, and they're not allowed to see them because you know of the
1: restrictions. So they're fearful for that. That's a constant fear. That's been a huge issue with so many of our clients that have their loved ones in facilities. Even, yeah. even independent living to assisted living to nursing homes has been very traumatic yeah. for a lot of those. And so, so, so
0: I work in that world, you know, I'm there on the inside raising the curtains to say, Hey, look, there's your daughter. Let's get your phone out. So y'all can talk. And, yeah. you know, we try to take care of them as much as we can, but we feel their pain. Although now a lot of settings, if they have a recent COVID test and make an appointment, they can come in to see their loved one. But that, Uh, Role is different for different groups. Yeah. You know, some of the other triggers is being stuck in the house, um, not being able to leave, getting irritable for the people you're stuck in the house with, (laughs) not getting enough sleep and being stuck in the house is a problem. Stress eating is a problem. That's leading to uh, more consumption of sugar and processed foods because we think they're comfort foods, but in the end, they make us feel worse.
1: So those are further triggers. Um so who would and, be who would be at greater risk for these triggers, these negative impacts?
0: Yes. So I see it all over. But the studies say it is older people and adolescents, which is interesting. Um, and it's so older people, maybe because they can't get out of the house as much. And I encourage those because I see those you know, people a lot um, in the community, people I work with, clients, clients, family members, I encourage them, you know, just even if nothing else, get in the car and drive around for an hour, just don't get out of the car, you know, and then come back. Adolescents, they crave social time, they crave time with their friends, they, you know, maybe have been on sports teams or in certain clubs or just hanging out with their friends. And that's a lot of time not allowed. So statistically, those are the most affected. Other people that are affected are those, you know, like me, and other people who are just natural extroverts. And we love being around people. And so if you're stuck inside or you're told to restrict your activities where they're not, um, you know, absolutely necessary, then that's really hard not to have those social events. I work with clients, and so I take extreme precautions not to, um, you know, be exposed to COVID somewhere because I've got to go into those healthcare facilities. And even though I have a COVID test twice a week to make sure, um, you know, in order to be able to work at these places, I still have to take all infection control precautions. So that means I had to skip a lot of Christmas parties, which was killing me. You know? (laughs) Um, but it's tough on those people. It's also tough on, um, you know, I think about some, I have some older friends. I saw a friend at a um, graveside funeral last week, and she said her mom is having a hard, hard time because she can't go to church. And that was like her only social life. That was the only thing she could do, but she's got a lot of comorbidities, which is a lot of different disorders. She's high risk, low immunity, and she's not been able to leave her house in months And that was her one thing she loved to do. So um, these people are probably at the higher risk. And then um, caregivers who have to take care of themselves and maximize their own care. And I always stress that because caregivers need to understand if I don't take care of my health, nobody's going to be around to take care of my loved one.
1: So I've got to get
0: my exercise. I've got to eat right. I've got to drink a lot of water. I've got to make sure I get enough sleep. And all of those are very difficult when you're a caregiver but I've got to make sure that I'm decreasing my risk because I've got to be there for my mom or my child or my spouse
1: or whoever. Yeah. I'm there. We, we, oh my gosh, I'm so passionate about caregivers taking care of themselves, you know, because I watched my grandfather do a poor job of it, taking care of my grandmother, you know, so he started having strokes and things like that. It wasn't taking care of himself, you know, so we do a whole lot to, you know, to help caregivers because, it's important to me for them to get that message you got right. to take care of yourself and sometimes you know it's sometimes it's just telling them the hard things what's the plan if you die because you're not taking care of yourself you know so you have to do that you've got to sleep you've got to eat well you've got to do things that are fun even though it makes you feel guilty you still have to go do things that are fun because it's so important for those kinds of things absolutely I've got a lot of stories about that. And when I teach caregivers, I start
0: out with the chronic diseases they will get if they don't manage their own stress. Because stress releases a lot of um, you know, adrenaline and cortisol that if it stays ramped up in your body, it leads to decreased immunity. Chronic disease like diabetes, anemia, heart conditions, all of those and your body is not meant to live in a status of stress. It's meant right. to have that fight or flight, to take care of things quickly, to you know fight off the danger or run, but it's not meant to live like that. And so I try to get people to realize if you don't take care of this, you are going, going to get chronic disease. And, so- and then even in my industry, I see and I don't know the actual statistics, but I see over 50 percent of caregivers die before the person that they're taking care of dies because they stopped taking care of themselves. They thought it was selfish to take care of themselves. But it's really selfish not to take care of yourself because you are setting up your loved one for failure when you're no longer there. Even if you just have to be hospitalized because, you know, have the flu or covid or you know, a diabetic attack because you didn't
1: take care of yourself. Even if that's just a week, that's a week they're not going to care. So what kind of solutions do you recommend to help prevent a lot of these declines in mental health?
0: Yes. So first and foremost, address the isolation and loneliness. So if you can do that, that's a huge step because that includes things like, um, you know, if you can't get out of the house, set up a weekly call or every few days call with that friend who will make you laugh. <laughs> you know, if you have, and I'm going to say this very cautiously, if you have friends on Facebook who are positive, then go connect with them. But yeah. so be very cautious about Facebook because a lot of times we only see what's happening. So perfect in people's lives. And it's not even often real, you know, they just escalate it. Oh, my life is so perfect. And then we get further depressed. Well, mine's not mine's in the pits. And so Facebook can make you even more depressed depending on who you've got, but connect with those people that point out what you've got and what we should celebrate. And people that are just tell you something funny. I have a friend that sends me a little joke on my phone like literally every other day that makes me laugh out loud, you know, so those friends. And so I love to have a phone call with her and every now and then, because we just take our time to point out what's good. So address the loneliness and isolation, even if it's from your home and you can't get out with them. If you can, you know, get out just with one person like to their house and you know that they've not gotten out either. That's very helpful, but a lot of people can't. Um, and then schedule, you know, the time that you've got doing things that you enjoy in um, that, you know, for a lot of people that's gardening or taking a walk or doing something that's out in nature. I talked to a lady not long ago that she is a caregiver. She takes care of her husband. She said he has a, um, a motor muscle disorder. So I'm picturing ALS or MS or something, but he's got a lot of, um, arm and leg tremors and jerks and he has difficulties with it's a long-term chronic disease. She said, you know, the best thing I ever did was I bought a baby monitor where I could leave it inside next to his bed and I could go outside and garden while he was asleep. And if he needed something, I knew he could call me right away. And that finally allowed me to get out of the house and, you know, do some gardening and do something that I love. So those are huge Um, Some other things is focus on one day at a time, not what am I going to do next month? What am I going to do next year? How am I going to, you know, what's going to happen to my long-term retirement plan? Just focus on today. We'll get there. You know, we'll get to the rest of the goal sometime probably in 2021. You know, we'll get to a plan. But right now, don't kill yourself out worrying yourself to death every day. So one day at a time. Some other things is um, exercise resiliency. That's one of my new favorite words (laughs) because I've been teaching on stress management for the last three years. For some reason, it was one of the most popular conferences, you know, topics that where I would go, they'd always say, can you tell us to teach on stress management again? And resiliency is about stopping and asking yourself, is that recurring thought when I'm thinking of constantly, is it helping me? It's not. Okay. What do I need to do to change that? What can I put in its place? Let's not dwell on what I don't have. Let's make myself think of what's good. And that can be through journaling, telling somebody every time they say, how are you doing? Say, you know what? Let me tell you what's good in my life. I have a place to live. I'm healthy. Um, You know, focus on all those things. So resiliency is huge. Um, And then set and keep doable health plans, uh, goals. You know, what can I do? Something simple. Can I just decrease the sugar in my life every day? And when I stress a lot and I, you know, I work a lot with older people, but it's true for all of us. Um, I got to move every day and that we replace the word exercise, that bad E word with a good M word move. So if it's just walking around the house once every 30 minutes, going up and down the stairs. Um, if you have a smartwatch, try to get more steps today than yesterday, even if it's just five more steps, so move. Sitting is almost as bad as loneliness. Some people say sitting is the new smoking. I wouldn't go that far because smoking literally destroys your lungs. Sitting does a lot of things that are not good for your body. If you sit for long periods of time. And that's true for a lot of us who are staying on zoom calls all day or sitting at our desk all day. So you've got to move. And that's a big health plan goal. And so Health goals don't include, I've got to go run three miles a day. When the pandemic started, I literally thought, I'm going to run every day or walk or jog or something every day. And then, like, I twisted my ankle. And <laughs> I think that was kind of an over plan. But just say, I'm going to, you know, do something different every day. Um, find 10 to 15 minutes a day to um, write in a journal or pray or meditate. Or just focus on positive thoughts and so if you say 15 minutes a day that could be three times a day five times each every five minutes each so that's huge um
1: anyway that's some of the things you can do we've been focusing on gratitude um what are yes we for every day you know you wake up and you think well first off i'm real grateful for the weather right now so you know it's just beautiful and cool so i really really like it but that's really really has helped immensely. You know, it's a whole mindset issue that um, makes a huge difference in how you think about it. So which strategies work better than others? So
0: first of all, don't get a magazine or or take everything I just said and say, I'm going to do exactly that. Pick the things that work for you because I can you know, like I tried a diet that a friend told me: you have this shake every morning and this salad every night. Well, it worked well for her, but that doesn't mean it works well for me. So the same for health and moving and journaling and uh, you know all the other things. Do find one thing and don't say I'm going to do these ten things every day because that's overwhelming and we're going to feel like a failure because <laughs> we didn't get all ten things done. We didn't even get five of them done, much less every day. So. Find at least one thing that works for you, you know, and that could be listening to music. And so, what music works for somebody else doesn't work for you, you know. I've tried on a one walk um, a couple of months ago listening to six different kinds of music, and I immediately realized, oh, I love that. That just reminds me of something positive, and that's just I feel joy when I listen to that. And someone's like, oh, oh, can't stand that. <laughs> that I don't <laughs> like that. Um, so try things new but just find something that works for you um, and then just try one little thing a day just this week every day I'm going to journal for five minutes or I'm going to you know, start my day with gratitude like you said I'm going to do one little thing I'm going to walk a few extra steps and then if that's working well for you add one little thing next week so don't make it overwhelming one little step at a time Um, And as you're driving in the car, that's a great time to focus on gratitude or pray or call that friend that makes you laugh or something like that. So, you know, just fill all your time with, with good thoughts, thoughts of joy,
1: and you'll be surprised how those negative thoughts, you don't have time for those as much anymore. Most definitely. So, Lisa, I just want to thank you for coming on the show today. It's so helpful to kind of reinforce those things that are so important, you know, for caregivers and, you know, to have and just people in general. And so I just want to thank you so much for coming. And um, Thanks. it's been a pleasure today. And, um, and so hopefully uh, later on, we'll have you back. And so if someone wants to reach you, how do they do that? And um, probably
0: the best way is my email, which is l. M-I-L-L-I-K-E-N 2021, like our year now, at gmail.com. So L-Mellican Milliken 2021 at gmail.com.
1: Okay. And so your phone number is up on the on the podcast. So they can call you as well, right? And that's the, uh, the
0: best way is text if you're gonna call me to text and say, because I'm usually with clients
1: a lot during the day. So I probably couldn't answer the phone. Okay. So that number is 346. Oh, I lost it and um and so three, three, four, eight, seven, seven, seven. yeah perfect yes. and so all right well i appreciate it immensely and thank you so much thanks kim all right bye 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 thanks for tuning
0: in to this week's episode of life happens with kim heckwood be sure to tune in every thursday at 10 a.m wherever you listen to your podcast as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship
1: or constitute attorney-client privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice.